Let's take our Bibles this morning and turn once again to the book of Hebrews and chapter 8. I'm going to read the entire chapter uh, and then we will once again pray. Hebrews chapter 8. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since uh, there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, which serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, where he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. Because finding fault with them, he says, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day which I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant. And I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their uh, unrighteousness and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that he says a new covenant, he has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Let's pray and ask the Lord's help in opening the word. Father, we do thank you for your holy word. We thank you for this time in it. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would exalt the work of your Son and show to us uh, the beauty of the new covenant made in his blood. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. I have spoken uh, from time to time here about my... Uh, uh, thoughts of time machines. Uh, I have spent an inordinate amount of time thinking about time travel. Uh, I think about what it would be like to go back to certain periods of history, particularly near history, things that have happened that I wish didn't happen, uh, things I wish I could save somebody's life. Uh, sometimes, sadly, I, I, that somebody would maybe get married, to go back and to say, look, you shouldn't do this, or that you... You shouldn't do that. Again, I've spent more time than I should with this fantasy uh, that I could go back in time. But I'm going to ask you to imagine for your own self, for your own life, I'm going to ask you this question. If you could go back to any period of time, you had a one-way time machine, 
And if you traveled back there, you had to stay there. Is there any period of history that you wish you could have lived in? Now, some of you, I know, like you're, you're, you're a Civil War buff or World War II buff or whatever it is, Peloponnesian War, whatever it is. But would you want to go back there? Would you want to live in that particular time? If you go back in history, where, would it, where you would have to stay, where would you live or, or where could you live? So if the Lord said to you, I will transport you, you know, we don't, now we have a time machine of the Lord himself, I'll transport you to any time and place. And, and you could, you'd, you'd know the language like they somehow do in these movies, you know. Somebody goes back to Rome and everybody speaks English. So, you know, you could, it would all work out for you. You could go back. What time and what land would you choose? I want to describe a time and a place to you for a moment. There was a time in history where there was a group of people chosen by the Lord, who had been delivered from bondage with the bearing of the arm of God in indisputable miracles. And they were on their way to a beautiful land, a promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And along the way, as they had left bondage in one place and they were on their way to the promised land, they stopped at a mountain where they heard the voice of God speaking to them. And following that, their leader, Moses, the friend of God, went up on the mountain and received from the Lord his holy law, his testimonies, his statutes, and his judgments. Reflecting on this, Moses himself says this. Deuteronomy 4, verses 7 and 8. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it as the Lord our God is to us? For whatever reason, we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments are as in all this law which I set before you today? Do you think to yourself... That's where I'd want to go. That's where I'd want to live. A people who lived in the presence of God, a visible manifestation, at least for a time, of the presence of God and who were going into a promised land under God's ordained rule and governed by his just laws. You want to live there? Would you want to live in those days of war and conquest? Do you want to live in the days of Joshua? What about the days of the judges? What about the time of Ruth? What about the reign of Saul? Or under the reign of David or of Solomon? Would there, could there be anything better than living in that land under the old covenant that God made with Moses? Well, the answer is given to us by the prophets of the Old Testament, and they are here expounded for us in the book of Hebrews. Again, remember the main point of what is being said. 
If you have been tempted to go back to the types and shadows and copies of the law, remember that they serve a heavenly reality. And remember that they demonstrate to us that there is a better priest who has a better ministry. And now the writer is going to prove to us that Jesus is a better mediator over a better covenant. And as we begin this section of the chapter, and we're not going to deal with all of it, we'll probably take some number of weeks to get through the remainder of chapter 8. But as we begin this section, I want to consider, first of all, the need for a new covenant. Secondly, I want to say something about the nature of the new covenant. I'm not going to expound the new covenant yet. I just want to say something about the nature of it. And then finally, the establishment of the new covenant. We're going to spend most of our time here in this first point, the need for a new covenant. Now, in dealing with this, we need to understand which covenant we're talking about, which covenant was passing away, which covenant was becoming obsolete. Now, we as a congregation, and uh, we, we don't have many visitors, I don't know that I see uh, today, but some of you may be newer among us. We, we don't always get to everything that we believe, but we embrace a system of theology commonly called covenant theology. Now, we have that with a Baptistic twist, but we hold to covenant theology, which addresses our understanding of the basic framework of God's dealings with men, and that is that he does so by way of covenant. Now, overarching all is a covenant made within the Godhead, the covenant of redemption or the covenant of grace made within the triune God, the plan to save sinful humanity by the work of the Son. Into the creation, there were a series of divine covenants. Now, controversially for some, a covenant of works or the Adamic covenant made in the garden with Adam, that if Adam and Eve had kept on in their innocence, they would have been established in righteousness, a covenant that they broke. We find then in Genesis, the Noahic covenant uh, following the flood and then the covenant with Abraham. And then later in 2 Samuel 7, we read of the Davidic covenant wherein the promises of the Messiah King is laid out. Now between the Abrahamic and the Davidic is what is sometimes called the Mosaic covenant, but which we often call now the Old Covenant. Now old in contrast to a new. So that when we speak of the Old Covenant, I want to be careful about this because sometimes there can be confusion. Uh, the, there is a book that we call the Old Testament, or half, it's more than half of our Bible. 39 books of our Bible are called the Old Testament, and 27 are the New Testament. So when we talk about the Old Covenant, we're not talking about that all the Old Testament scriptures being obsolete. That's not what we're saying. But we are saying that there was a covenant that God made with Moses for a time. It is the old covenant founded in the book of Exodus. Now, the essence of that covenant is that God would be their God and, and they would be his people. Now, this covenant that God made through Moses with the nation of Israel is what we would call a conditional covenant that it was predicated upon their obedience with the reward 
that if they obeyed his voice, if they kept his law and his statutes, that they would dwell long in the land and would enjoy multiple blessings from God. Listen to the language of Exodus chapter 19 and beginning in verse 4 and reading through to verse 8. God says this is preparatory to the giving of the law in Exodus chapter 20. The giving of the moral law, I should say, in Exodus chapter 20. Verse 4 says this, You have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you uh, on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now therefore, listen to the conditionality, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special treasure to me above all people. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. So Moses came and called for the elders of the people and laid before them all these words which the Lord commanded. Then all the people answered together and said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. So Moses brought back the words of the people to the Lord. This is what I'm going to do. This is what you're called to do. And in the covenant, in the agreement of the covenant, they say, this is what we will do and this is what we will be. This old covenant promised life in the land and material blessing in the land, again, upon condition of obedience. And what we call the old covenant was the ceremonial law And the many civil laws which governed the people while that covenant was in effect. So, so far, so good. So why was there a need for a new covenant? The law of the Lord is perfect. It enlightens the eyes. It converts the soul. It gives wisdom and all of those wonderful things we read about in Psalm 19 and that we will spend the next several Lord's Days in our opening of our worship reading through Psalm 119 in which verse after verse tells us of the beauty and the perfection of the law of God. And when it says that, it is speaking preeminently about that law contained In the Old Testament, the beauty of the sacrificial system, the beauty of the priesthood, the beauty of the the tabernacle and of the temple, the beauty of having laws adjudicated with God giving us one case law after another, why then was there a problem with this covenant? Well, we read in the, a moment ago, in reading here in Uh, in in Hebrews 8, a quotation from Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, and let me read again now, reading it from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31, 31, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Now, Jeremiah is going to be a a prophet of the exile. He's pre-exilic, and then he is one of the exile prophets. He's dealing with the final days of, of Judah. It's the days in which he ministers before the Babylonian armies come in and, uh, and, and destroy the temple and kill many of the people and take many into exile. And so he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant 
with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. It's not going to be like that covenant. My covenant, now listen, which they broke, though I was a husband to them. Why the exile? Because they're being taken out of the land and punishment according to the, the rules and articles of the covenant. If you obey this, if you disobey that. The old covenant made with Israel upon the exodus, when God took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, was a covenant, you see that there, that they broke. It was a covenant that you could break. It was a covenant whose promises were conditional upon the obedience of a lot of unconverted people. This covenant, though divinely given, though full of blessing, was given to a people who could not and did not keep it. If you go back to Deuteronomy 4, which I quoted earlier about the blessings of the law and the statutes given, what other nation has such great laws? Following those words are these, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. After said, what great nation has such laws and statutes? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. Unless you de they depart from your heart all the days of your life. There is a law given and then there are those it's given to. And those it's given to need to have a warning that you need to watch yourself, you need to watch your life, you need to guard yourself. And you need to teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb, when the Lord said to me, gather the people to me, and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and they may teach them to their children. But what happened? So when I said to you, do you want to live in that time? If you know your Bible, what are you thinking? I don't think I do. What is the history of the people who had great laws and great statutes given to them? What is the story of the Old Testament? With the exception of brief periods of revival, the pattern as you read the prophets, let's start with the judges, and then read the prophets and read the historical record and the record is that those to whom the laws and statutes were given, by and large, rebelled. They did not obey. They worshipped and served other gods. God told them not to forget, but they did forget. And they forgot relatively soon in their history. How soon after the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, in which the Lord had said, you shall not make for yourself an image and bow down to it. Did they do that? It was within days. 
So that by the time Moses comes down from Egypt, they are already committing adultery. They're partying and they are celebrating a false god. Though the law could be written on tablets of stone, it could not be written on hearts of stone. It could not then and it cannot now. And though this is not the point of this message, if I were, among other reasons, seeking to show why we as a congregation reject theonomy, why our confession does and your elders do, it would be among passages like this. It does not take into account the heart of man. In the very best situation possible, with the pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night, eating manna supplied by God, having seen the miracles of God, having heard the voice of God, having Moses himself read the law, they couldn't keep it. Not because the law of God is not perfect, not because the law of God is not glorious, but because our text tells us in Hebrews 8, finding fault with them. Now, when I say finding fault with them, that is in the context, the Jews, the covenant people, I say that only because no other nation had those laws. But had the other nations had the law, guess what? They wouldn't have kept it either. In fact, the law binds all men under sin. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. With the revelation, without the revelation, there is a heart problem with man. Only the Jews had the law and the Jews could not keep it. That fault was that many living under that covenant were not truly converted. But let me say this, even we who delight in the law of God after the inward man and who have its moral precepts stamped upon our hearts of flesh by the Holy Spirit and we who live under the new covenant in which the law is written upon our minds wherein there is a disposition to obey and to put sin to death with the help of the Holy Spirit, guess what? We struggle and we fail with new hearts and new minds and new desires and new powers. We don't look at the law of God and say, I am so amazingly good. We look at it and say, oh, how much we need a savior. So why was there the need for a new covenant? Because of our nature. Not, 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 this is not a distinctly Jewish problem. It was given to them and so it hit them. This is a human problem. They rebelled. They broke the covenant and they faced the judgment of breaking it. So we need to understand that. We need to understand that this is why, the, this is why God didn't just say, I'm going to give you the law and let you just live under the law and perpetuate a life under the law. 
This is why the goal of the scriptures is not the giving of the law, but the coming of the Messiah. Now consider now the nature of the new covenant. And we will expound, God willing, God helping us, the glory of the new covenant in the days to come. It'll be a couple of weeks from now or so. But what we want to look at here is that at least three things are brought out. I'm not going to take much time with this. But the first is simply the declaration that it is a better covenant. So what we're going to expound is far better than what Moses gave. It has better promises. And then thirdly and obviously it has a better mediator. Now the first statement is fleshed out in the second and third. So when you say, why is it a better covenant? Well, the answer is it's got better promises and it has a better mediator. But in and of itself, it is the better covenant. Brethren, you're not shortchanged to live in the days of the new covenant. So if, if, if you said to yourself, I want to live under the old covenant and stay there, I'd say to you, say, shame on you. Why would you want to live in types and shadows rather than in the reality of the new covenant. The new covenant is better than the old. Now the old covenant. Given at Sinai and upon Sinai. Certainly has a weight and, and a glory. It is, it is powerful and is full of majesty and awe. The giving of that covenant. What, a, what an amazing and really, we say, you know, it's, it's cinematic. And there's a reason why Hollywood makes movies about the old covenant far more than it does the new. The coming of the new could hardly be more different. One given at a mountainside with hundreds of thousands of men, women and children. There's fire and smoke and thunder and lightning and the voice of God and the shaking of the earth and the shaking of the mountain. The latter is given at a meal in an upper room with a few men. And the host of that Passover meal takes a cup. And he said words which spiritually minded Jews have longed to hear for hundreds of years. Because Jeremiah said, days are coming that I will make a new covenant. And Jesus said, you know those days? It's right here. So that in Luke twenty two twenty, we read, likewise, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant. It's in my blood, and it's shed for you. Jeremiah had promised that this day would come. Ezekiel picks up on this as well and gives further details, and we'll look at some of those, God willing, in the days ahead. But now it's not coming, it's here. And in the blood of the new covenant, which would be shed the next day, on a hill, and yes, with darkness and thunder as well and shaking of the earth, but not in the same grandeur of the old, but in the shock of the new, as people stood and wondered what was happening and what God was doing in the 
death of this carpenter from Nazareth. In the blood of the new covenant and the promise of forgiveness of sins, there is, the preacher tells us, something better. The old covenant said, live this way and you'll be blessed. The new covenant says you haven't lived this way and so here's mercy. It has better promises. Now, again, we look at some of this and we say, who would not want the promises of the old covenant? Some of you were here when we went through Deuteronomy. And if you were here when we went through Deuteronomy chapter 28, I'm not going to read the whole section. I'm going to read just a little bit of it. But these were the blessings that were promised upon obedience. These are the promises of the old, of the old covenant. Now, it shall come to pass, as Deuteronomy 28 beginning at verse 1, if, if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you today, that the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth, and all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Not because I'm merciful, but because you obey. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the fruit of your body, the produce of your ground, and the increase of your herds, the increase of your cattle, and the offspring of your flocks. That is, you're going to have babies, and you're going to be rich, and you're going to be secure. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Your cupboards will be full. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise against you to be defeated before your face. They shall come out against you one way and flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing on you in your storehouses and in all which you set your hand. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself just as he swore to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they shall be afraid of you. And many people hear that and they say, that's what I want. What could be better than that? A triumphant people, a wealthy people, a strong people, a powerful people. And you know what the Lord says? I'm not just making this up. I'm not just trying to make a spiritual argument. God says this himself. Do you know what's better than that? Having your sins taken away. Having God's law written upon a new heart and upon a new mind. Knowing that the Lord of God, that God is merciful in your iniquity and in your sin. And saying of your multiple lawless deeds, I will cover them. And that's why in the new covenant, a man can reflect upon the blessings and the curses. And say at the end of Romans chapter 8, a sword and famine and peril and nakedness can't separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You see, those are many of the curses of the covenant. And he says, you know what they can't do? They can't separate us 
from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, which is more sure and which is more certain and which is better. And Paul can say, I know what it's like to have prosperity and I know what it's like to suffer want. And whether in prosperity or in want, I have learned in all things to be content. Why? Because his sins were taken away. Because his lawless deeds were remembered no more. Because God was with him and because he knew the Lord. And everybody in that community would know the Lord from the least to the greatest. So you know what's better than prosperity of body? It's the prosperity of soul. And so we can go about as the offscouring of the earth. And be rejected and be persecuted and flee or whatever else that may happen as you read in the scriptures to God's people. And they can stand fast because God has declared this covenant better. And he has stated its promises are better. Again, those promises we will expound, God willing, in our next message. But then there is thirdly that there is a better mediator. Better than Moses. So if you follow sports, you know, you're going to have these questions about, it took me a while to figure out what this was. People talk about the goat, greatest of all time. So who's the, who's the goat of this? Who's the goat of that? And people even do this about preachers. You know, the, who are the goats of church history? Whatnot. Anyway, if you had humanity and said, who are the goats of humanity? If I went to the Jews, if I went to the Gentiles, if I went to Muslims, and I said, give me your greatest, you know, what's, you know there, there actually would be a couple of names that would come up. Abraham would come up. And Moses would come up. And then the writer of the Hebrew says, you know who's better than that? <laughs> He's better than them. Moses is one of the greatest men in all of human history. He's held in high esteem, again, by Jews and Christians and Muslims. But he not only mediated a lesser covenant, a covenant which could and was broken, but he himself was a lesser mediator. The greatest mediator is someone who is able to have sympathy with both parties. Imagine right now if there was somebody in the Middle East, uh, an ambassador who had an Israeli father and a Palestinian mother. And they'd lived their whole life living in one place and in the other. And they could go at the table and here's one half of the table saying it must be this way and another saying it must be that way. And he lays his hand on one, his hand on the other and strives to make peace. The greatest mediator is able to have sympathy with both parties who are in need of reconciliation. And it really helps if he actually bears the nature of the ones to be reconciled. And in all of the world and in all the history, there has only been one who bears the nature of God and the nature of man. And was able, as it were, to lay his hands on God and lay his hands on the people and reconcile them both through the blood of his cross. He is the better mediator. 
Now this brings us to see how and why, or, or, or uh, excuse me, how, how and why, or, or better, by whom all of this is possible. So consider the establishment of the new covenant. I've touched on this already, but, but look again at the words of Hebrews 8, 6. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry in so much as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which is established on better promises. Now remember what we are saying. One of the things that we've talked about, if you're studying the book of Hebrews, and if you ever get lost, imagine, I thought about this this morning. So imagine you're, you're, you're making your way to some mountain peak, and you're walking through the woods, and you get lost in the woods. And you think, I don't know if I'm going the right way. Well, you know what you would try to do or somebody? You try to climb up on top of a tree and look out and go, oh, it's, it's that way. So if you ever get lost in Hebrews, remember that the north star of Hebrews is that Jesus is better. And, and that's, that's all that he's getting. I don't get all the, look, he's just better. He's better and he shouldn't be forsaken for something less. Don't give your life to something less. Why do you choose what is so much worse when there is someone and something so much better? He's the best. He is more excellent. His work is more excellent. His ministry is more excellent. His name is more excellent. His glory, his work, his reward better than the prophets, better than the angels, better than Abraham, better than Moses, and certainly, as he's been arguing lately, better than the Levitical priesthood. His ministry is better. He is the mediator, the go-between, the one who establishes this better covenant, which has so much better promise. As Moses stood between the Lord and the people, representing God to them and them to God, so too does the Lord Jesus. And while Moses heard and recorded and delivered the law and had the people respond, Jesus does something far greater. I will fulfill what you have broken. I will stand in your place. Moses stayed behind as the Jews entered the promised land. Our mediator has gone before us to prepare a place for us. And he fulfills all of the types and all the ceremonies and all the blessing and all the curses are bound up in him. And this is why he can give a greater salvation, a more awesome deliverance, and do what Moses could not do, change the hearts of those who come into the covenant. You see, one thing that every gospel minister knows is that, is that they are but men. The priests knew this, and preachers know this, and pastors know this. We all have our limitations. We can't save anyone, and we have no power to keep people. We can't change hearts. We cannot secure eternal redemption, but he can, and he does. He says of the cup at that first Lord's Supper, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And at the shedding of his blood, a few hours later upon the cross, he brought about the fullness of the new covenant. 
And those promises so wonderfully laid out for us began to be a reality. Now, most of us here are not Jews by birth or by upbringing. And some of these realities may well have been more keenly felt 2,000 years ago by those who lived in the days of transition. Kind of a cool time and place to live. They saw the end of the old. Some of them, within a few months, would watch the temple, that magnificent temple, be destroyed. They saw the end of the priesthood and the end of sacrifice. They were there at the end of the old, and they were there at the beginning of the new. But, you know, this book was not written just for them. We keep saying that. This book was written to first century Jews. But you know what else it was written for? It's written for you. It's written for us. It was not intended for them. It was written to them, but not intended for them only. Its truths were to echo down through all the centuries to every land and every tribe and every tongue. It was written down and preserved so that you, sitting here today in Louisville, Kentucky, might know the glory of the Lord Jesus. And that you who struggle with doubt, who wrestle with returning to an old path, that you who need help and you who need hope and forgiveness, who need mercy and who need grace, might know that that greater mediator is still sitting at the right hand of the majesty on high. And that those of you who have a stubborn heart of stone, and you know it needs to be removed and it needs to be exchanged and a heart of flesh needs to be given to you, can go to that same mediator. And those of us whose hearts have been made flesh and yet stumble and fail and sin might look afresh to your all-sufficient and perfect mediator and that you might enjoy and savor the promises that are yours. In this sense, there's nothing better coming. If I had lived from the time of Moses through to the time of the new covenant, to the time Jesus died on the cross, right up until then, I would have said something better is coming, something better is coming, something better is coming. Now, something fuller is coming. And the fuller experience and the full and final aspects of the redemption that will be ours will come. And we won't sin again and we'll see him as he is. And these bodies of death will be resurrected. All of that is coming. But how does the writer say it? More happy but not more secure. More happy but not more secure. Because a better mediator has given a new covenant and his blood. Well, let's pray and let's ask God's blessing on these things. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you that you will show mercy on those who come to you through Jesus. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that we have at your right hand a surety. We have one who has borne our nature and who has taken the curse of the law upon himself. 
And Father, we thank you that all the failures of thousands of years were swept away by the righteousness of one. And Father, we do pray that all those here, everybody who knows you and those who need to, would come to the minister of that new covenant and find life and hope in him. We pray in his matchless name. Amen. Amen.